You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 13. Jesus said to them, Whoever has ears ought to hear. The disciples approached him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said to them in reply, Because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. To anyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. From anyone who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because they look but do not see, and hear but do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You shall indeed hear, but not understand. You shall indeed look, but never see. Gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see and your ears, because they hear. Amen, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. John Paul II, pray for us. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and it is a great pleasure to introduce a new topic very near and dear to my heart, the topic called phenomenology. What is phenomenology and what does it have to do with the Catholic faith and following Jesus? In this episode, we are going to answer these questions and more. So first, what is phenomenology and when did it begin? In a word, phenomenology is a philosophical method, a specific philosophical method that helps us to receive the world as it gives itself in all of its abundant meanings and meaningfulness. To receive the world like a child who opens her eyes to the morning. To receive the world with the greatest wonder and awe 
and thanksgiving. In a word, this is what phenomenology is, a philosophical method that helps us to see with eyes wide open and to listen with ears wide open, like Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of St. Matthew, in the context of the parable of the sower, talking about the importance of having eyes to see and ears to hear that ultimately come from God's revelation. But to understand this revelation in relation to nature and reason, we need some really good philosophy going on, what we could even call a Catholic philosophy, which always will have classic metaphysics at its heart. But in the 21st century, the times we're living in, we also need to reanimate metaphysics. We need to reanimate this gift of the Holy Spirit within us that ultimately comes by God's grace, but our cooperation with this grace. We need our intellect to be calibrated according to the gift of divine revelation and this gift of God the Holy Spirit that we would call wonder and awe or fear of the Lord. This way of living that is constantly vigilant for the saturating givenness of God's creation and interpreting everything that happens in our lives according to what we could call a theodrama, to quote the concept of Swiss Catholic theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, a theodrama of our lives in which everything can be woven into the unfolding of God's will in a gradual way. Okay, so talking a bit further than the basics of this question. What is phenomenology and when did it begin? But I'm trying to begin with the end in mind a bit here too. So it goes back especially to a German uh, mathematician turned philosopher named Edmund Husserl. His last name spelled H-U-S-S-E-R-L. You can look him up online, learn more about him. Edmund Husserl, who lived from 1859 to 1938. Born in Prosnitz, then part of the Austrian Empire, now part of Czech Republic, he was born into a Jewish family, the second of four children. Edmund Husserl. He was baptized into the Lutheran Church in 1886 at the age of 27, two years after his father's death. He would go on to earn his doctorate in mathematics, and his first PhD, is his doctoral thesis, dealt with calculus. He's a very smart man, and this wisdom would spill over into his love for philosophy which he wrote his habilitation thesis, that is, a second kind of doctoral thesis, which they do in Europe. It was entitled On the Concept of Number, and by writing the second thesis, it allowed him to become a university professor, in this case of philosophy, in the German university system, in which he worked until the end of his life. He introduced the concept of phenomenology, this new philosophical approach, in his two-volume work published in the years 1900 and 1901, entitled Logical Investigations. Husserl would go on to write many books in phenomenology, setting the course 
for this new philosophical method that would influence many prominent philosophers throughout the 20th century and known to the 21st century. Among those he influenced were two saints in the Catholic Church, Karol Wojtyla, become Pope John Paul II, and Edith Stein, become Teresa Benedict of the Cross, the Carmelite nun. So, as a student of Catholic philosophy and theology, I've really made the observation and taken it to heart the impact of the method of phenomenology in the work of John Paul II, when you look at something like his Theology of the Body writings, and then the work of Edith Stein in her many philosophical works and theological works. I've seen this method unleashed in their work and it's been very instructive for myself. I just want to give you one quote from John Paul II here about phenomenology that he said in an address to a delegation of the World Institute of Phenomenology of Hanover in the year 2003, two years before he died. He said to this delegation, Phenomenology is primarily a style of thought, a relationship of the mind with reality, whose essential and constitutive features it aims to grasp, avoiding prejudice and schematisms. I mean that it is, as it were, an attitude of intellectual charity to the human being and the world, and for the believer to God, the beginning and end of all things. To overcome the crisis of meaning, which is characteristic of some sectors of modern thought, I insisted in my encyclical Fides et Ratio, this 1998 encyclical John Paul II wrote, Fides et Ratio on Faith and Reason. He insisted there, especially paragraph 83, on an openness to metaphysics, and phenomenology can make a significant contribution to this openness. It's a beautiful quote from John Paul II, who in, a, in effect endorses phenomenology as an important method of philosophy to study and to put into practice. He did himself. Again, when you read his Theology of the Body, it's very clear the influence of phenomenology in his analysis and his descriptions of common lived experiences of us human beings. And this was very much influential phenomenology in the work of Edith Stein as well. I published a short book in 2019 called Phenomenology, a basic introduction in the light of Jesus Christ. I'll put a link in the description of this podcast episode to this book. But I just want to quote something from that book to help define as well as possible something that transcends definition, phenomenology, because it involves so many things to say, what it is, how it works. But this may help us further try to understand at a very preliminary stage what is this method. So in this book I write, Phenomenology is a step-by-step approach to the most certain and clear data of human experience. Phenomenology is a science. In fact, phenomenology is the science of science 
because it is the science of experience, any and all experience. Phenomenology is the science of phenomena. What phenomenology observes and measures is meaning. It is the science of meaning. It gathers up all meanings, given or signified within experience, and describes them through the process of interpretation. For the science of phenomenology, phenomena themselves are its data. From the Latin root datus, which means giving, or datare, to keep giving, to keep on giving. That's where the word data or data comes from. Phenomenology does this, recognizes phenomena themselves, everything that happens within experience, to be the data of its science because all of these meanings and significations give themselves to conscious perception. So I hope this makes some sense. I'll keep trying to make sense of this through this podcast episode in the 10 minutes or so I have left up for this challenge. I hope to do more podcast episodes about phenomenology, uh, do a phenomenology of this or that, phenomenology of various things within religious experience, for example. Recently, uh, I published another article. I'll put a link in the description to uh, in the journal, uh, the Church Life Journal out of the University of Notre Dame about phenomenology, what I call a Christocentric phenomenology uh, of religious experience. Um, so you may find that helpful. But what I'm trying to get at here is within every lived experience that we have, that you have, that I have, there's meaning that gives itself, that lights up in our reception of the experience and in our interpretation of the experience. So phenomenology simply tries to describe lived experience as accurately as possible, as faithfully as possible, and the description is led by the givens themselves, or what are called the phenomena in experience. And a phenomenon is not just some abstract image that the intellect is thinking about. A phenomenon is everything that happens in experience outside the self and inside the self and the intersection between it all. So phenomenology regards there to be a unity between the phenomenon that gives itself and the thing in itself. It doesn't think these are two different things, so it's not what would be called representationalism. Uh, it's not idealism. Um, it's, it's very much uh, a philosophical method that wants to be faithful to the things themselves by letting the things themselves be received fully as they give themselves by themselves. Another short definition I give of phenomenology in my 2017 book on the work of St. Edith Stein called Human and Divine Being is this. Phenomenology intends to be a purely descriptive method of investigation. The main question it asks is, what gives? Yes, it's as simple as that. It intentionally brackets and sets aside the so-called natural attitude that is indeed simultaneous with the practical person. And that's a quote from Edith Stein there. 
the natural attitude uh, simultaneous or synonymous with the practical person. Okay, so if I were to describe the natural attitude, this is the first thing phenomenology does. It says that often when we interpret an event, another person, a certain meaning, we approach it with all of these assumptions. And we get ourselves in trouble with our working assumptions that often limit what actually is giving itself or trying to give itself within the experience. So the natural attitude is the attitude that's filled with all of these assumptions, oftentimes suspicious, skeptical, and cynical about the world. Kind of like the refrain of the book of Ecclesiastes in Scripture of Koheleth, Vanity, all is vanity and chasing after wind. There's nothing new under the sun. This kind of ongoing assumption about the world and existence, especially uh, in the shadow of a lot of negative experiences, we get hardened to what could be new, what could grant us hope, what could grant us healing, what could grant the possibility of forgiveness and all this. We become closed off to all these possibilities because the natural attitude prevails. When we look at the life of Jesus, how he came to set us free it also has to do with our attitude. He came to bring about conversion by the gift of his grace. And this too is given. This too is a great phenomenon that comes in many forms. The grace of God. He came to bring about conversion of this natural attitude. This is a philosophical way to describe at least one aspect of Christian conversion, what's called in Greek metanoia, this change of heart, change of mind, changing the way I approach the world, changing the way I let the world approach me, changing my attitude about things that can tend to be so pessimistic, looking always at the glasses, half empty instead of half full, this kind of thing. But we don't need to go about life like that because oftentimes we're not dealing with reality when the natural attitude prevails. We're dealing with what could be called not true phenomena, but phantasms and illusions. And this is where we can get in trouble in practical life as well as the theoretical life and the spiritual life. So phenomenology helps us, I would argue, what I argue in my little book called Phenomenology, this basic introduction, in the light of Jesus Christ. I don't say that phenomenology is the gospel, but I do say that phenomenology helps open us to the gospel all the more in a very rational way. So it's not wishful thinking. It's being true to the things in themselves. I have so many more quotes I could share in this podcast episode, but I'm going to be very selective here. And um, I'm just going to quote Edmund Husserl and another 20th century phenomenologist, French phenomenologist named Maurice Merleau-Ponty. A couple of short quotes from him. And then I will move to wrap up this podcast with some closing thoughts. There's so much that could be said. I will have to wait to future episodes to say more. 
about this. But Husserl, Edmund Husserl, the father of phenomenology, the one that really inaugurated the method at the turn into the 20th century, he says that meanings inspired only by remote, confused, inauthentic intuitions, if by any intuitions at all, are not enough. We must go back to the things themselves. So how would I interpret that? We should not live by hearsay. We should not live by news media, as if that's our guide into truth. So many meanings that swarm around us in advertising, in conventional modes of behavior in the culture, and so on, we might call into question these meanings, these intuitions, and call them what they are, call a thing what it is, remote, confused, inauthentic. Living according to these is not enough, he is saying. Thinking rightly, good philosophical thinking, must go back to the things themselves. He says in German, zu den Sachen selbst. We have to go to the things themselves. Call a thing what it is. Call a spade a spade. Because the spade gives itself as such. Not because I say this is what it is, but because I receive something with great docility and reverence and wonder, openness. Go back to the things themselves. I have to ask over and over, what gives? What gives itself? What gives itself as possible? This open horizon about the future, not this closed door to everything, not this attitude of despair, not this depressed attitude of forlornness, a kind of Eeyore phenomenon <laughs> that all is gray, all is cloudy, all is hopeless or something. The one who dares to follow Christ by his call to you, to me, personally by name, is the one who is animated by his grace to dare to go where he leads, to dare to go back to the things themselves and let them give themselves by themselves. This is the way of phenomenology. It's French... Phenomenologist Maurice Merleau-Ponty says in his article, What is Phenomenology? He says, Phenomenology is the study of essences, and accordingly, its treatment of every problem is an attempt to define an essence, the essence of perception or the essence of consciousness, for example. So going back to the things themselves means we're going back to what is most essential in this life, the most essential meanings that we find in our common lived experience. He says further, the whole effort of phenomenology is to recover this naive contact with the world and to give it at last a philosophical status. 
We are taught this by the child, above all. The way the child approaches the world. The way the child goes about their life with very close contact with the ground, with the earth, with what us adults tend to overlook because we're too concerned about so-called higher things and therefore we miss the highest ones. Merleau-Ponty says that phenomenology is a philosophy intent on being an exact science, but it is also an account of space-time and the world as lived. So it's talking about lived experience, conscious lived experience, what's going on with the totality of our perception, not just segregating and dissecting the senses, seeing, hearing, taste, touch, smell, what's going on in each of these, but integrated perception, like the child perceives the world. This is how phenomenology works, through a unity of perception and this receptivity to all of these meanings that flood our perception. So finally, to sum up, why would I say phenomenology is important for theology, is important for Christian discipleship, is important for seeking truth. I would say, end with these three points. Phenomenology is incredibly helpful for theology because, for one thing, it assists in overcoming the false dichotomy between faith and science that is so pervasive in contemporary culture. As the science of science has said earlier, phenomenology catalyzes, it enables a recuperation of theology as the long-standing queen of all sciences. This was the case of the medieval university. When the university began, the queen of all sciences was regarded as theology. In the close second, its handmaiden was called metaphysics. That is the full philosophy so phenomenology helps restore theology to its rightful place within the university and within culture through courageous and open interdisciplinary dialogue. Phenomenology is able to serve as a bridge across various disciplines of inquiry and learning. Second, phenomenology expands the intellectual horizon for thought and dilates the heart for compassionate pastoral ministry. Because its method intentionally suspends the natural attitude and premature judgment as to what is the case, phenomenology expands the creative and receptive capacities of the human person in relation to God, the other, the saturating givenness of creation, and even in relation to oneself. To say with St. Paul, it does not concern me in the least that I be judged by you or any human tribunal. I do not even pass judgment on myself. The one who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, do not make any judgments before the appointed time until the Lord comes. So in this sense, phenomenology as a method does intentionally suspend judgment concerning a given phenomenon. It leaves that judgment to metaphysics, which is necessary to happen at a certain point and not be suspended indefinitely, but phenomenology itself is not concerned with passing judgment on a phenomenon. 
but it does want to describe things as accurately as possible. And when it does this, it helps prepare metaphysics to pronounce a very prudent, careful judgment on what is true, what is false, what is the case. Finally, phenomenology brings us back, as Husserl insisted, to the things themselves. Anyone who is serious about truth and committed to objectivity, and even what we could call the objectivity of subjectivity, will naturally recognize the unlimited benefits of the phenomenological method. Phenomenology is both a primer and a sustainer of the contemplative life to the measure that it prevents the unwarranted collapse of the soul's attentiveness to the glory of God, radiating through the whole of creation in both its trials and its joys. So may we all continue to consider the benefits, the rewards of studying the method of phenomenology, how it may help open our eyes to the meanings that gush forth in lived experience on a daily basis, and how it unlocks even deeper capacities of discipleship in terms of our receptivity to what Jesus reveals in his life his teaching, his message, his sacrifice. For as Jesus teaches us, the gift that he gives is received to the measure that it is given away. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness.